Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Value Line Observer with the Value Guys. I'm Val Hughes. And I'm Vern Value. And we are 25-year Wall Street veterans who have gone underground and taken on secret identities in order to provide you our candid views each week on a handful of stocks in that week's Value Line Investment Survey. You've seen our faces on TV. You've seen us quoted in the newspaper, but our bosses would never allow these unvarnished views on the air, so we disguise our voices and they'll never know. Uh, this week, we're looking at the June 27, 2008 edition of the Value Line Investment Survey. And a couple of caveats. This show is entirely for entertainment purposes only. Uh, it's after hours, and we're not paying that careful attention to all these details. It's a hobby, and uh, also uh, I can't speak for Vern because we're in different locations, but at my end, I may be drinking, just so you know. Little I am as well. I, Are you? I don't want to get that right out on the table. Let's just let people know that. It's the weekend. Sure. Uh, for all our disclaimers, including uh, conflicts of interest, uh, we may own the stocks we talk about, we may not own them. We most likely don't know anything about them. We're just having some fun here. So see all our disclosures at www.thevalueguys.com, and there's also some photos there if you're interested in that. I'm going to be back at the second half of the show with, uh, I think, a couple of good ideas this week. Uh, Long Drug, which I've talked about before. Uh, Jones Lang LaSalle, a real estate guy. And then uh, I think a decent stock for uh, scary times, genuine parts. So, uh, And so with a great deal of ado this week, due to uh, the fact that he's doing something nice, Vern Value. Well, thanks for that. I, and I think people should recognize that you're doing nice things as well. Well, we're both, behind these costumes, we're, we're humans, after all. <laughs> <laughs> all and, right. And more, and more human when we've had I'm tearing up. You know, Let's just get on with the show. Uh, well, thanks for that uh, rousing introduction. Sure. And, My um, pleasure. I'm a little sleepy. So am I, actually. Uh, but I'll try to I'll try to make uh, at least as much sense as I normally do. Perfect. Um, and start off with, uh, you know, I, I, I found myself uh, looking at the auto parts industry again. Because, uh, a lot of beat-up stocks there and uh, a little bit of recovery going on in some of the names. And uh, I think people might be... Uh, be starting to get on board with them and uh, uh, at you know, early cycle ideas, and I'm a little nervous about that here in the short term because uh, there's some uh, bad developments going on. Well, nothing's going well, is it? Oh, it's going no. very badly. No. Um, but um, there are some interesting names in the group that aren't really exposed that much to uh, whether uh, Chrysler or uh, GM or Ford are selling a lot of new cars uh, or making them, for, you, for that matter. Um, so in this list are some names that really are more suppliers to other vehicle markets and not so much the car makers. And one of those is Wabco Holdings, a company that just got spun out of American Standard uh, back in, according to Value Line, in July of last year. Yeah, I remember that, actually. Yeah, the symbol is WBC, and so because it's a relatively new company, Value Line doesn't have a rating for it. Uh, recently trading at about $52. 
a little over 14 times earnings, about a 10% discount to the market, pays a little bit of a yield. Uh, the stock bottomed earlier this year uh, around 38, bottomed last year uh, a little above 40. I'm sorry? Um, are you talking? No, I'm not talking. Oh, I'm sorry. Is something going on on your end? No, I, there was a lot of panic there, and I was afraid that no. you, were, um, you were trying to... Uh, no, sometimes, you know, these uh, small nations, they have trouble with the phone system, and uh, that's what we're dealing with. What can I tell you? for those of us that are used to uh, modern telecommunications, and I'm going to come back to that as an idea. You are? But, uh, uh, modern telecommunications, yeah. Is that in this week's issue? No, no, but it's not Not for Wabco Holdings, it's not. So let me finish up here first. Uh, if you read the description, according to Value Line, they do 60% of their business with truck and bus manufacturers, and then another 20% with aftermarket distributors uh, for that, for commercial vehicles, and then do another 14% of sales with trailer manufacturers. So there's only 5% left for light vehicles. And uh, because of the company's historic customer base, I guess, uh, this is the old Westinghouse Air Brake Company, um, they do about three-quarters of their business in Europe. Well, there's, hold on, hold on, Vern. There's also a company called Wabtech, Wab which Tech. is the old Wab, uh, Westinghouse Air Brake that actually still sells air brakes, and I own. So this is a little different. It must be a piece of that in some way. They both must have gotten rights to the name in some way. Um, I thought the one that you're talking about was a supplier to the rail industry. Yeah, they do air brakes. Uh, yeah, okay. All right. Well, this is, uh, this is you know, a business, a business pointed in a totally different direction. Maybe they ought to get married. Um, at least chat. You know, they're oh, sharing uh, a heritage. WAPCO's <laughs> been doing well recently uh, because the European commercial truck market is doing well. Truck production up 10% year-over-year in the first quarter, according to Value Line. And they're looking for uh, business conditions to remain favorable for the rest of the year, in part because of the rapid development of uh, the industrial sector, industrial and commercial sector in Eastern Europe, which is a fairly common theme you're hearing from manufacturers in Europe, that the big opportunity is in the former Eastern companies. And because of inadequate transportation links between East and West and uh, the expense and time it takes to build better rail links, for example, um, to to uh, to handle the transportation needs as you integrate the economies, uh, it's fallen to the truck industry. And so the truck industry has been doing well. Uh, it seems reasonable to think that it ought to uh, continue to do well. And in the meantime, Wabco has been branching out into Asia. Only about uh, 12% of uh, Wabco's business is outside Europe and, uh, and North America. But... Uh, in Asia, in that 12%, Asian sales were up 36%, China even more. Value Line uh, tries to position an argument that they're outperforming uh, the end market in terms of their own sales uh, comparisons. And while it appears that they indeed did that in, uh, uh, in North America, where they were not down as much as the market, uh, it does appear uh, that Value Line... Now, it's a little confusing here. They say European revenue is up 12% in the first quarter with production up only 2 but then they go on to detail some giant uh, favorable currency impacts because of the uh, euro uh, that also contributed in the quarter. And if you 
you take the 14% that they're suggesting, um, assume that all of Europe was in euros, which it probably isn't, but uh, you could probably gross that number up to close to 20% in terms of the contribution to European revenue. And so I don't know what their 12% growth number means. It would be helpful if the you know, value line make clear whether they're talking yeah, about no, or reported that revenue. Would be, but something to check would out. That would be helpful. Is, uh, uh, if, if what I think Value Line is trying to tell us that they're outperforming in both markets, that's a pretty powerful statement as well. Uh, well for trading now. currently for under 10 times the cash flow number that's uh, being forecast for this year, 08. Uh, don't have giant capital spending requirements, operating margins, mid teens, return on capital around the 30% level uh, because they're, uh, uh, well, I don't know. I, it, you know. They're not, it's not like they're. Uh, Write offs. They probably uh, took all the write-offs they could possibly no, there's, take. There's, there's no net debt, as a matter of fact. So well, they just they got spun uh, out with a certain balance sheet. That's all. Probably. Yeah, and so you you got an artificially constructed mm-hmm. uh, book value position, I guess. Yeah, what that's what I would guess. Uh, but uh, enterprise value just eight and a half times uh, the EBITDA number that Value Line's looking for this year. So it looks like a looks like a reasonable play on a long-term trend at a uh, reasonable valuation, high-quality name, Apple Holdings. And wow. I found another. Uh, I found another uh, interesting little name in this auto parts industry that, again, is not not so much. Uh, well, when you say another interesting name, did, did you think uh, well, that one, one was is, interesting? I'm, I'm sorry. What do you mean? Did you? I'm sorry. You like it better than this last one, or? Than Wabco? Um, yeah. I don't know. Let's okay. talk through it. I, you okay. know, as you point out, um, you know, we don't do a lot of preparation, and I frankly have done a little less than usual this week, and. Um, so I'm not sure if I like Webco better than ATC Technology. Symbol is ATAC, uh, and it's a company that used to be called something like, um, let's see, Aftermarket Technology Corp. Because 45% of their business is remanufacturing transmissions, you know, automatic I took a transmissions look at that. for the automakers. So these are uh, when uh, when you take your uh, when you take your old car to the dealer. Uh, well, not not even just to the dealer. Um, you know, if you take it to a transmission shop and you end up buying a new transmission, that old transmission ends up going back to a manufacturer that takes it apart, salvages all the parts that can be reused, takes those that maybe need a little uh, freshening up, and then adds some new content, puts it back together again, and what you end up with is a uh, um, really a brand-new transmission, you know, functionally just as good as the, uh, the brand-new one that you had in the first place. Uh, that makes a great uh, replacement product. As a matter of fact, that replacement transmission that they put in when you took your car into the shop in the first place probably was a remanufactured transmission. Really, all that means is that, is that they salvaged parts of the uh, of the transmission that don't go bad when the weakest parts in the transmission. You know, Vern, I took do. a look at this. Yeah. And I, I backed away. Why is that? Uh, customer, you know, customer count. They've got a couple customers. Like Honda, That's I think, true. was a big, a That's big true. piece. Yeah, Honda, Honda, and Ford were apparently both fifteen percent yeah. sales. Yeah, little scary. And somebody year. was backing they've away. They lost some share, and they lost some share at Honda, according to Value Line. Their sales there are going to be down to fifty million from eighty-three million this past year. Um, but I'm, I, you know, I'll take my chances that uh, these guys who have been around for a long, long time are out working to win other new customers. Uh, it's a concentrated industry. There's only a certain number of manufacturers making, you know, putting new transmissions in cars. So if that's going to be uh, your primary business, by definition, it'll it'll be a fairly concentrated business. Now, the 
other piece of the company, which I, I think is also interesting, 55% of revenue is a logistics business, a third-party logistics business, uh, based on their expertise in managing the flow of all of this product. Because you've got to imagine they're getting these transmissions from every little repair shop all over the country. They have to be able to manage the flow of all that into their facilities and then back out to uh, back out to those people as they're needed. They take that and they leverage that expertise by providing third-party logistics services for other companies. In this case, AT&T is the primary customer. 36% of revenue and uh, with logistics at 55% of total, that means AT&T is about two-thirds of that business. And it, uh, I'm gathering from what I read here that they're handling reverse logistics for a, um, AT&T. In other words, uh, the return of product, uh, the cell phone that you send back in in exchange for a new one, for example. Yeah. Uh, so I I, go I'm not going to claim that I know anything about this. I just think it looks interesting because it's a... Uh, under a 13 multiple, it's a little under one times revenue. It's under 10 times cash flow. Has a what looks like a fairly solid return on capital profile in the low teens. It's trading for uh, almost a 25% discount to market. And you'll love this: no debt on the balance sheet. Exactly I did like swimming. that. They're not exactly swimming in cash, but uh, the enterprise value then at excuse me 525 million. I've looks to me like uh, well it. They're looking for about $70 million, $75 million of EBITDA. So it's between seven and eight times EBITDA on an enterprise value basis. So, again, very reasonably priced. Um, Fidelity owns 13% of this one. Uh, Wabco is what? Hero owns 11, Fidelity 8, Newberger Berman 8. So there's some, uh, you know, presumably some uh, halfway intelligent uh, uh, patient money involved in both of these names. Either one of them are tied specifically to new car production rates and whether new cars are selling this week or not. Matter of fact, uh, ATC may get a little bit of a help uh, after you anniversary uh, uh, sort of weaker consumer spending uh, from people simply running their cars longer. Uh, so that's a theme I have this week, too. So, you know, not auto parts companies that kind of, well, are listed in the auto parts group this week. Uh, and then the other name I have, um, maybe a little more topical, and um, it goes to the global telecommunications comment that I made before, is Motorola, uh, symbol MOT, where the stock recently traded around $9. They have totally gonna, wrecked that company. Well, oh, I absolutely. And I, I think it's, that there's some chance that I'm even a little early here. But I, I've got some, I think, some interesting elements of an investment thesis. So all I can promise is a uh, poorly researched uh, idea based on a quick scan of uh, the value line material. Who could ask for more than about, that? You know, what our customers get from our client, our, uh, our list gets from us. Uh-huh. Um, but, okay. um, you know, it, it looks interesting to me here. They're going to, for those of you who don't know, they're planning to split this company in two, basically going to take the very cyclical, um, very fashion-dependent, innovation-driven cellular handset business and separate it from the rest of the company. Uh, well, it's a new piece of the company, you know, the last 10 years or 15 years anyway, really, isn't it? In terms of driving the business. I mean, they've, ha- they've been an innovator in wireless, but uh, they used to be a semiconductor manufacturer, really. Yeah, and they've, uh, they've largely moved out of those. Things. And televisions before that, radios before that, you know. 
historically the company does go through change. Maybe they'll manage this. Oh one. yeah, and the, you know the other half of the company, the the other piece of it that you get as a shareholder is a uh, major player in broadband equipment, wireless network uh, development. They they call their systems or their segments of the company home and network mobility and um, enterprise mobility solutions. The first one's a little bit bigger than the second, enterprise mobility, which is the wireless piece. But uh, that's the uh, that's the uh, business that um, is, I think, more attractive. And so the question is, what are you really getting for your, uh, I say, $9 with uh, – uh, excess cash on the balance sheet. They have about seven billion of cash, a little over four billion of debt. So you can really take a dollar off the stock price. Really, an eight dollar stock with uh, net cash adjusted. Mm-hmm. Um, you're buying a. Uh, you get a combined business with uh, two years ago forty three billion of revenue. Last year thirty six point six. Value line is looking for thirty two this year. But okay, we'll say thirty six. We'll use the two thousand seven number. Well, no, 32. Why, why not? You know, and it's going to be about half and half. About 16 billion, I guess, will be the uh, the uh, businesses with a future, and the 16 and 16 will be the handset business with an uncertain future. And Value Line talks about the uncertainty creating difficulty in uh, finding somebody to run the business. Uh, one of the unknowns here is that uh, Motorola has been slow to get to market with third generation product, um, especially uh, from a company that had been viewed as a handset uh, innovator to not have anything that's touchscreen capable in the market yet uh, is uh, obviously very problematic. Uh, Combined operating margin for the total company have gone from low teens to low single digit over the last couple of years. Um, So I I think what we're talking about, although Value Line doesn't provide any breakdown on profitability of the two different businesses or even any speculation, I can speculate because all I promise is to be unprepared and uninformed. And Good uh, job, by the way. Thank you. I'm working hard at it. Yeah, by um, the way, you have 30 seconds. Okay, I'm almost there. Um, with a, with about a billion dollars of uh, what Value Line calls operating income, or EBITDA, forecast for 2008, and a little bit more than that earned in 2007, I can't help but wonder if we're not talking about a... Uh, Broadband wireless business that earns two billion, and a handset business that loses one billion. And I would be, I would still be at a billion. And then if I tried to think about what my profitability had been a couple years ago when I was earning uh, margins that were three times what they are now, the implication would be that I was earning a couple billion dollars more in the handset business. So instead of losing a billion, I was making a billion. Right. That's right. Okay. So all of that together you know, reasonably well in terms of a rough guess. So that means that in my uh, enterprise value, which is $20 billion uh, of equity minus the $2 billion of excess cash, or $18 billion, uh, is supported by half of the, uh, uh, half of the company is uh, a business that does $16 billion in revenue with $2 billion of EBITDA. Uh, 20-minute mark now, Vern. And then I've got uh, the other half of the business, which I basically get for free. Yeah. Um, and I, it just seems to me that given the company's history and position in the in the handset market, uh, especially distribution and brand, that that might be a little uh, might be a little uh, steep of a discount. And the other thing that I would point out is, according to Value Line, they're spending a lot of money on new development, and it's all going to come to market in 2009. 
So it could very well be that they're waiting to do the split up until they have some of this product in the market, and you can see uh, the business doing better. By then, the stock, of course, will be a lot higher. Well, they company. certainly have a brand that people know. I'll give them that. Yeah, and, and they've proven an ability to market in contemporary terms in a you know fashion-driven industry. So I like their chances to try to make it. You need to do a lot more homework on this name, MOT. Vern, this is going on very long. I'm going to have to edit a lot of this out. Spend much money on it, honestly, uh, or invest much in it. But uh, I'm barely staying awake. I'm not kidding. Okay. So All with right. that, I'd like to turn it over to my impatient partner. Impatient. Val the Pete. show's over, basically. Thanks, everybody, for listening in. <laughs> All right, I got to wake up here. If you're still with us, uh, thanks for that introduction, Vern. Did you, I don't know? If, did you do one? Uh, an introduction of you? Well, yeah. Yes, I, I said you were my impatient partner. Oh, impatient partner. Oh, that's a that's a liter some alliteration there. Okay, I've, I uh, what am I doing this week? I've got I've got three really terrific ideas. Uh, well, they're medium, I'd say medium terrific, um, and they're all you know for troubled times, for these difficult times that we're in right now, supposedly. So the first one, Long's drug, LDG's the ticker. Page number is 769. Uh, what do they do? Well, they're one of the nation's largest drug chains. They have 510 stores in six states, California, Colorado, Washington, Oregon, Nevada, and uh, Hawaii. Okay. 47% of their sales are uh, drugs, and 46% uh, are front-end. Why that's important is because the front end or the non-drug part is where you make your money in drugstores. The drugstore part, the drug part, you don't make a lot anymore because these insurance companies have really hammered you down. And while I have talked about Rite Aid in the past, RAD, and that's certainly worth a look here. It's super cheap on sales, but that's a much higher percent uh, of uh, pharmaceutical sales, and that's hurting their margin, and they may not be able to get back. They don't you know, have a great front end. But Long's does... And what I'm attracted to is simply the stocks come in. Uh, it's 15 times earnings. It's, uh, you know, a little bit below a market P.E. It's seven and a half times gross cash flow, which I think is great. They've got a little bit of a period here of rising gross margins. That's got to be due to increasing percent of their business on the front end. Uh, their returns on capital have been rising consistently. They're in the low teens now. And with a... Uh, Five and a half percent operating margin, which isn't very high at all. Uh, their decent return on capital tells me that they've got some, very, you know, good expertise in logistics management, asset management, uh, and it looks like they're putting some money into that area. They're going to be evolving a. Uh, well, they're located where everybody wants to live. Well, yeah, they they are, um, but uh, even even with that, at that margin level, their return on capital is pretty impressive. I think they've got to have some real nice software systems or logistics systems, automated equipment. I'm not sure what. But, um, you know, they're doing something well, which makes me think ultimately in a consolidating industry, you know, where CVS and Walgreens are the biggest and, uh, you know, CVS has gotten that way through acquisition, I ultimately think this is a takeout target. But in the meantime, it's trading at about seven times EBITDA, so to me, that's going to be looking at like a 14% cash-on-cash return if we bought the whole company. 
Uh, you buy the equity and the debt, and what do you earn on that? Like a yield. That would be about 14%. And then Value Line says they're going to grow cash flow around 11%, uh, earnings 21%. So even Value Line's thinking, I guess, that they're going to have uh, declines in depreciation or something. Um, but uh, I still get into the low 20s as a return. And you've got this backdrop of uh, health care and demographics, which I really think is good wind at your back. So Long's Drug. That's L good at that. That's a good thing. Yeah, LDG, page 769. Okay, next up, Genuine Parts, GPC. Now, here's another name that if you're a little nervous about the economy and what's happening, uh, these guys are the largest distributor of automotive replacement parts in the United States. Now, in a period where no one can get credit and no one wants to buy a car, I just saw these survey data where everyone's, you know, more depressed than they've been in 30 years. Well, come on, there's more television telling us how depressed to be than there was 30 years ago. There used to be just three channels telling you to be depressed, and that was only at certain times of the day. And now you've got 24-7 of guys telling us to be depressed. It's no, you know, no surprise to me we're more depressed. But we shouldn't be. When you look at the data in terms of income, wealth, jobs, etc., uh, all the data show that we are better off than we certainly were in any period in the past. Uh, although we've obviously slowed down a little bit here. Genuine parts is a play on people having to keep their car a little longer than they thought and, uh, you know, having to, to buy some uh, replacement parts. The stock is trading cheaper than it typically trades. It's about 10 times gross cash flow, uh, 14 times free. This is such a high-quality company, it really never gets this cheap. It's at 42, which, you know, you could have paid uh, back in 04, so we're back to those kinds of levels. It's a discount to the market PE. You get a 4% yield, and they're putting up 18 17% returns on capital. And again, with an 8.5% operating margin, those sorts of returns on capital are telling you these guys know how to manage assets uh, and uh, manage this distribution, this big footprint they have. They also, in addition to the auto, which is about half their business, they distribute electrical and electric components. And uh, electricity is apt to be in the ascension for energy, in my opinion. And then they uh, distribute office products, which isn't doing so well. Uh, we've recommended Office Depot in the past, and that's an area that's weak now, is going to come back. But this stock is very cheap. When you look through the business, recently it's performing okay. Low single-digit you know, growth. Uh, they have had to guide down a little bit in terms of their earnings estimate recently, which is why the stocks come in. They've got no debt here, 9% debt to capital. And in a period where industrial and financial companies are apt to be putting up bad numbers, these guys are going to be putting positive comparisons together over the next few years. And Wall Street likes that, probably bid this thing up to a premium multiple. That's my bet on this one, Vern. Uh, Genuine Parts, GPC, page 784. And I'm really just trying to speed through here now because I, I want to respect people's time. You don't want them just listening to the show I, all day. I didn't, I didn't have a clock here in front of me. Yeah, no, that's okay. Listen, I don't. I didn't. I did less work than usual this week, so well, I don't I have that much to talk about anyway. Uh, it's busy over here, you know. So I'm just trying to do what I can to get a couple of good ideas out for the people, and I think those are two good ones. But here's my best one, Vern, coming up, right now. You ready? 
Yes. Okay. I'm sitting down. Yeah, okay. It's it's something called, it's a little something I like to call Jones Lang LaSalle. And the ticker is JLL. They like to call it that, too. They call it that, too. I know. We've got that in common a little bit. Page 823. Uh, what do these guys do? Well, let's see. They operate uh, as a real estate services and money management company. Now, I've heard of this company, and I knew they were in real estate. I did not know they were in the money management business. And there's no detail here on how much money they manage. But this thing is trading at six to seven times gross cash flow, nine to ten times free. And when I say a range, it just means I don't have a calculator here to figure it out exactly. So do the math. But, um, you know, we're in a period of psychological and, you know, obviously real weakness in real estate. But real estate in the big picture is driven by population growth. And uh, I think you just have a little slowdown here like you get every eight to ten years. The stock's down from 125 to 66 right now. It's 11 times earnings. It never gets this cheap except in periods like this. So I'm talking about, you know, 01, uh, 2000, back in 91, those kinds of times. They're putting up, uh, you know, mid-teens returns on capital down from the upper teens and 20s in the best periods. The market doesn't seem to like they just did an acquisition of the Staubach Staubach, I guess, company. Staubach, yeah. Staubach. Is that Roger Staubach? I think so. Huh. So they're spending some money on that, $600 million, but if you're doing that right now, it probably just means you're getting a great deal on something. I'm just going to trust these guys because they've put up years of great returns. So I don't know how that's going to turn out, but it's probably a decent deal. Uh, you got a bunch of good earnings comparisons coming up. They did... Uh, they did, you know, they are going through a period of cost increases, which is no surprise. That seems to be in the stock. And the question is, is this an interesting time to get involved in urban real estate? I mean, with gas prices where they are, cities become more important. People don't want to commute so much. So living downtown, working downtown, start, you know, gets to be a little bit more popular and more economic driven. And, um, you know, this is a stock that really doesn't, uh, particularly get this cheap. It averages a 15 multiple. It's at 11. So you got a little bit of upside in the PE, and obviously you're going to have some upside here in earnings, which are apt to be, you know, sluggish. Uh, actually, in 08, they're going to be down two bucks from the 760 they reported in 07. But that's all in the stock. So uh, Jones Lang LaSalle, ticker JLL, page A23. It's a mid-cap, too. I don't know how many people cover this, but probably not that many. So, Vern, I'm going to tell you, that's my favorite one this week. Jones Lang LaSalle, JLL. So how about that? I think uh, Wabco Holdings is probably my favorite one, WBC. Wabco. Okay. Well, listen, everybody. Uh, thanks for listening in, as always, and uh, we'll catch you next week. Thank you. Take care.